Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is a special friend of mine from my hometown, actually, here in Southern California. So I'm really excited to chat with her. Chelsea is the co-founder of On and On. She's an artist and an entrepreneur, and I'm so happy to have her on. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Nikki. Thanks for joining us all the way from Kauai. I love that you've been able to spend some time there, given especially everything you've gone through recently. So um, yeah, I want to get started a little bit with just you growing up in Laguna and how you see, because you're in the wellness world. So how just your upbringing in Laguna kind of made its way into influencing you where you're at now? Well, I also want to start by saying, you know, thank you so much for hosting me and making your platform so accessible and so available. And it feels really special to be, to have a friendship and be in a community where I have someone who is interested in what I have to share. And so I really appreciate you for that. And growing up in Laguna was really interesting. I feel like I um, have shed lots of skins since I live there. But, you know, I grew up pretty unconventional because I was raised uh, by a single mom. And so in my house, you know, she was the matriarch. And that was really uncommon in Laguna. There weren't many other single moms. And um, it was a really incredible, super privileged way to grow up. And I'm so grateful that I got to have my experience there and be exposed to beach culture, really. And, and having that direct relationship with an element as powerful as the ocean, I think that's probably the thing that stayed with me and had the biggest lasting impression. And in a lot of ways, I'm super grateful for all of the experiences I had growing up in Laguna because it really informed where I am now because there's a lot of um, experiences and friendships and things that I did that feel so far from who I am now. And I also don't regret anything. Um, And I also believe Laguna still has this kind of rootsy, hippie, artist, enclave um, vibration that I I really enjoyed. And so working at the Sawdust Festival, for example, at Deb's Deli, that was my first job when I was you know, 13 or something like that. So I think that there were a lot of moments at the time I didn't realize how significant they were. And now when I reflect back and with a little bit of space, I see um, – how incredible it was to grow up in a beach community where you have these bridges of, you know, Southern California culture mixed with kind of this influx of wealth and, and at the same time, this like artistic history. And it's, it's a really interesting place to grow up for sure. Well, so you moved to Silver Lake after. So I'm curious because there's that artsy community there, but definitely gentrification happening and continually happening. So I'm curious how that opened up your world. Cause I think that's also where you became a lot more inquisitive and, and found yourself maybe a little bit more. And then also, is that where you were inspired to start on and on? Yeah. So I mean, you didn't in Silver Lake, obviously, but is that kind of like what, um, you know, opened up your world in that sense. 
You know what really opened up my world actually was um, I straight out of high school, I went to University of San Francisco and studied international business and minored in Spanish. And I had this plan of what I was going to do. And I really wanted to work at the United Nations and eventually, um, you know, get a law degree. And I realized really quickly after my first year there that that just wasn't for me. So I ended up applying to art school and I got into Otis College of Art and Design, which is a small private art school in Los Angeles. And that really was a huge turning point in how I literally was like seeing the world um, and being in those classes and being exposed to the type of rhetoric that you're exposed to in a liberal arts education. And also my classmates, you know, it was my first time being around um, a predominantly queer community, being around um, a lot of transgender individuals, being around the use of new pronouns. And so it really widened my eyes and made me realize how how I had been living in such a huge bubble before where I felt like I was somebody who had an idea of how wide the spectrum is of what it means to live. And once I exposed myself to my, my art school and my art education, it really exploded. And I just completely transformed in a really exciting way. And so naturally, because I was going to school in LA, I had to find a place to live in LA and I ended up living in, um, historic Filipino town, which is kind of a little bit on the outskirts of Echo Park, because it was the, the, you know, the place that I could afford. And I put myself through school and worked full time through school and, you know, inadvertently was definitely participating in gentrification. And at the same time, trying to figure out where my community was and trying to live. And so I was at this really pretty interesting crossroads of like, how do I find a community in a new place? And also what is my physical presence here? How is that going to have a lasting effect on the people who've lived here generationally and the people who, you know, can't, can't easily move to a new house or rent a new apartment. And so, you know, the journey began. You put that so beautifully. I love that. And I, I always think of when I'm exposed to a new environment and when I start to see the world differently, or I feel like my world has opened up, I always like look back and think, wow, like it's almost like I was wearing a foggy, like glasses that were super foggy. And then now they just become more clear. And it's so incredible to see that journey. And so, um, so yeah, I love the way that you just put all that and explained it. And I'm, so I'm curious because I think, and this is like kind of the heart of the fullest too. I felt like the wellness world just isn't inclusive and it hasn't been for a long time. And so when you're our age and you're, you know, learning about new things and, and meeting people who do use different pronouns and who have a different experience in the world, but then you're also interested in wellness. Um, and you know, it's not predominantly something that I think it's just interesting because like I have friends that are either transgender or their siblings might be. And like, we talk about this a lot because I think on one hand, it's like at the end of the day, you're taking, you're getting a surgery or you're taking um, hormones, right? To, to be able to reflect how you feel inside. But then at the same time, 
like you want to share with people the natural methods of doing things that I always found there's this one doctor who I really love in New York. I don't know if you know her, Dr. Julie Vaughn, and she works with, she does a lot of fertility with trans individuals. And she also talks a lot about, because I find it really interesting, like how can you use Chinese medicine or how can you use, um, different ways of having these types of hormones that are like more natural. And I, I always like think about that because that's not something people are talking about and maybe not something that we know whether it works just as well or not. But anyways, that's just like totally off on a tangent. But the reason I bring it up is because I think when you're exposed to that world, but then you, you're saying like you were trying to find your community of like artists that are also interested in this, you know, you were exposed at a young age to how powerful the ocean and natural elements are and kind of bridging those gaps. And so naturally it just makes sense that you created something like on and on, especially like the graphics and the imagery. I mean, everything is so beautiful. And I tell everyone like Chelsea does that. It's insane. Like you are so talented. So I'm curious how you view on and on and like your impact on the world with having that background? Yeah, I, it's a really good question because it's a culmination of almost like, you know, a lifetime of how I was raised and the things that I saw in my household. And I'm pretty grateful to my mom because she, she's always been alternative. Um, so she was exposed to she was exposing us to a lot of different types of religions and, and we travel a lot. So I saw a lot of different types of cultures and countries and um, films and even music she would play in the house. And so I always felt like doing things in a way that was different than what other people were doing was open to me um, because of the way that my, my family culture operates. And so when I was at art school, uh, my freshman year there, I actually was diagnosed with uh, pretty serious metastatic papillary carcinoma, which is thyroid cancer. And so my first two years of college, I would say, you know, admittingly, I wasn't super present at school because I was dealing with this really heavy health situation. I had to have surgery. I did radioactive iodine. Um, and so once my junior year rolled around and I realized, wow, I only have two years left of this, that's when I kind of became the student who basically like lived in her studio, developed really strong connections with my mentors and my other colleagues and some of my best friends that I'm still close with today. It's how I met my partner, Max, who, you know, is an incredible um, graphic designer and artist. And he's a huge part of On and On as well. And the way that I've always taken care of myself has felt has always felt communal and it's always been natural to share what I'm doing with the people that I love and the people that I'm around. And so at the time I was living in a space with two of my best friends and um, I had to be on really specific diets because of my cancer. So for example, I had to be on a no iodine diet, which is really interesting because almost all table salt has iodine in it. So like I couldn't eat out anywhere. And so together we started creating, um, my best friend Corinne would make me, um, like chocolate pudding, but she would use avocado. And, you know, I had to, I had to go to the store and bond buy non iodized salt. And so it naturally kind of, it felt so natural to share. And then I realized that, uh, even though I was, you know, 
not wealthy at all. And, and I was putting myself through school and I had some loans. I, I still realize there are so many people that I was coming into contact with so regularly who had no idea that they had resources outside of allopathic, um, you know, medical systems and even outside of just basic talk therapy, you know, that there's like cognitive behavioral therapy, there's somatic therapy, there's breath work, there's hypnosis, there's all of these different methods that I was exposing myself to as part of trying to figure out, you know, how the hell I'm going to get cancer out of my body and also how I'm going to heal from my surgery that I had. Um, so I was at this really interesting kind of like apex of my health because I obviously chose to go an allopathic route and I had surgery and I had radiation. And then I decided, you know, after that, I was going to really put in the time and the energy and educate myself on how to bring my body back without going the allopathic traditional Western route. And so, you know, what would that typically be like afterwards, like post surgery? It's, the radioactive iodine, which again, I did do. Um, it's being on really high levels of calcium and vitamin D right after surgery. Um, and then intentionally, the doctors were prescribing me really high levels of Synthroid. Uh, oh, okay. I don't have a thyroid anymore and I don't have parathyroids either. And they removed a bunch of lymph nodes as well. And so, you know, a lot of it is 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 monitoring. And the, it, the biggest issue I had with my doctors and I still have with my doctors is that there really is no follow-up care. They're yeah. kind of like, here's your surgery. Here's the radiation. You know, we'll see you in, in three months and you could get blood done and we'll see you in six months and you can get a scan and you're fine. Like go surfing, you know, live your life. And I'm super traumatized, 20 years old, like, you know, it feels very insensitive for a doctor to tell a young person who has huge incisions on their neck to go surf. You know, it the whole thing just felt way too cavalier. And so naturally, I also am a more serious person. And so I doubled down and realized, you know, this isn't okay. And this isn't how I want my life to go. And I'm, I'm going to be the person who's going to solve the mystery. You know, the mm -hmm. doctors maybe have 15 minutes with you. So their biggest concern in that time constraint is like, how are we going to keep this young person alive? They're not yeah. talking about, you know, lifestyle choices and my mental health and, you know, um, traumas I may have experienced that I need to work through to help relieve my body of holding stress and toxins, which isolate cells that then become cancer. You know, so I just for a long time felt very disillusioned. And I felt like, oh, maybe there's a doctor somewhere who wants to dig in and help me because so many women get thyroid cancer, specifically the kind of thyroid cancer that I've had. Wow. Um, you know, but that just doesn't exist. And so in a way, it's kind of liberating because it's like, okay, well, then I have a really long runway to explore this for myself. And so I already had experience with um, infrared saunas and dry brushing, and I was by no means, you know, licensed or, or certified or anything, but I was exploring traditional Chinese medicine. I was exploring Ayurveda. I was receiving acupuncture when I could afford it. And um, I, at the time, was becoming really close with my business partner, Melissa, and she was at a really different time in her life where she you know, is 30 years my senior. And she was just realizing she wanted to do something 
to honor her vitality in a way that didn't involve injections, basically, or intense lasers or chemical peels. And, you know, on and on is not about coming to some like destination of beauty. Like there is no, um, there is no end point. And we're also not judgmental. Look, like if you do whatever you need to do to make yourself feel good, we're just creating an alternative. I love that. And so that's really how On and On was born was the two of us, you know, Melissa coming to me and being like, I really want to create something. And, you know, you're a motivated young person who has your own experiences with your health and wellness. And let's see what we can create. And so it started with about a year of research and development. And then, you know, we are very lucky that we called some friends and family members who also got on board. And then we started On and On. Taking a quick break from our episode to tell you about a new brand we've partnered with. If you have trouble sleeping or struggle with anxiety or physical pain, these ailments can make daily life extremely difficult, and it's hard to find an effective solution without turning to pharma-grade medicines. For those of you wanting a natural solution that works, we've teamed up with Right Wellness to share with you the healing benefits of CBN. You may not be familiar with it, but cannabinol or CBN is not the same as CBD. Some people find CBN is more sedating and therefore more effective in helping you sleep and feel relaxed. Wright's CBN tincture is the natural plant-based alternative that can put you on a path to overall health and wellness using a blend of hemp CBN, MCT, and vitamin E oil. This is a tincture that will help you find the relief you deserve. Head over to rightwellness.co and for 20% off your Right Wellness Co. order, use code THEFULLEST at checkout. I love on and on. I mean, the space you guys created was so, so warm and welcoming. And and obviously um, now it's just like a different iteration where you're online, which is exciting. And I mean, I think you were online before too, but maybe that wasn't as much of a focus as obviously that you're putting in now, which is exciting because then there's even more, um, you know, opportunity to access and connect with people. But I love it so much. And, and having the opportunity to go there and see what you created was really cool. And I, I know that you mentioned you were diagnosed at 20. So then you had surgery and then you went through, okay, like what, this isn't the end point. I'm still gonna, you're such a curious person. So obviously that's your nature. And so you were going to continue to explore, Hey, you had questions like, why did this happen to me? Um, what is it that my body's trying to tell me? And you did whatever you could to try and become more in tune with your body and listen. And I love that. And, and I'm curious, what was your like what happened when you found out that you were you had cancer again like recently yeah so march of 2020 i um you know every four months it's really common anyone who's had any type of cancer that based on whatever your um diagnosis is every you know three to six months basically you get blood work for the rest of your life and so what happened was i just had a routine blood work and my endocrinologist called me and uh she shared with me that my 
cancer marker, which when you have the type of cancer I have, it's your thyroid globulin, it had really jumped. And so she, you know, suggested I go get an ultrasound and that led to a biopsy, which led to finding out that I was, I I had an extensive amount of cancer growth again. And, you know, at first I was just so devastated because I felt like I've been trying so hard and I'm doing all the things and I'm, um, you know, in therapy, I'm in breath work, I'm, I'm working on my body, I'm doing all the things I can do. And so it felt at first, it was really discouraging. And then I kind of just felt like, of course, this is going to happen. Because, you know, three years, about three years prior to that, my dad had passed away. And five years prior to my, um, cancer, my cancer diagnoses for the second time, um, I had found out that my dad had stage four lung cancer. And so, you know, they say by the time you find cancer, you, it's likely been growing in your body for years. And so when I go back and I kind of trace, okay, first diagnosis, I was 20. What happened when I was 15? When I was 15, my dad got in a near fatal car accident that left him permanently blind. Oh my God. And you know, fast forward to I'm 29 and I'm getting diagnosed with cancer again. Five years when I was 24, my dad got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And so to me, it really was this wake up call of like, stop tricking yourself that you're okay. You know, stop trying to be strong, whatever that means. And really release, like really sink into the heaviness of all these experiences as a young person that I've gone through. And also, I can be informed by these things and they don't have to be my identity. Yeah. And so that's how it seems, right? Like you had this really strong relationship with your dad and this strong connection somehow also is like part of your identity. Yeah. And so those those experiences that he had, you somehow have taken on. And I think that that's part of my nature is, is I'm so sensitive. And so I really can feel and I, I physically, I am working to not do this anymore. But I'm like embodying stress that's not even really mine. And that could be ancestral, generational, familial um, behaviors that I don't identify with and yet I'm carrying them like on a cellular level in in a very biochemical, very real way in my body. And so working to realize that, acknowledge that, and then decide, okay, you know, what can I do once now that I acknowledge it, I feel like I'm empowered. And so now I can be in the driver's seat more and um kind of take it from there. And this, this second diagnosis uh, that I had in March, I, I again turned to UCLA to my, my endocrinologist and the surgeon that I work with there. And I decided to get a second surgery. Um, I come from a school of thought when you have cancer, if it's, if you're lucky that it's localized enough where you can get all of it or even any of it removed and you're not at risk, you know, to go under anesthesia, um, do it because like get it out of your body. Um, and it's imperfect. And of course they weren't able to get every last cancer cell. And I still have a slightly elevated marker, even though I'm six months past my surgery date. Um, however, I will say this second surgery, I've made the decision that I'm never going to do it again. Um, 
I'm never going to have radiation again. They actually made a mistake during my surgery and they cauterized my lymphatic, my largest lymphatic duct. Um, it's called your thoracic duct, which manages like your whole lymphatic system in your in your body. There is a small duct on the right side, but that's only for the right side of your neck and like your right chest. The, the thoracic duct on the left side of your neck manages the your lymphatic system for your whole body. So anyways, I had a, um, it's called a Kyle leak. And I basically had a tube in my neck and I was losing, I was draining fat from my neck. So there's like white fluid coming out of my body. And I told the doctors, you know, like, this isn't normal. You know, like, I know I'm a white person, but like, I should be like bleeding red, (laughs) you know, something's wrong. And they ended up having to do an emergency surgery the next day. And it was just so traumatic going under anesthesia twice in 24 hours. I was like, really, really thought I was going to die. I was so afraid. And I have to say, the presence and breath work that I've learned from Dr. Beverly Morris through On and On actually saved me that day. I remember laying in the hospital bed because I'd just gotten out of surgery. I couldn't even stand up yet. So they wheeled me downstairs to go into my second surgery. And it was almost comical because um, where I was having the surgery, there was construction going on. So it was like really loud. And so to cover up the construction sound, they were blasting like pop, like 90s pop music. Oh my God. I, I just was like, you know what? I, I just started doing my presence exercises. I was like white wall, red chair, you know, blue shoes and got myself really present so I could get out of my fear mode, which rightfully so. I had every right to feel afraid. It was very scary. Um, and anyway, the second emergency surgery, it went well in the way that they were able to cauterize the leak. And and um, I woke up on a heart monitor. And so I look at the anesthesiologist and, you know, I ask her, why am I on a heart monitor? And she said that during my surgery, a piece of glue actually went into a chamber in my heart. And I went into AFib only for a brief second. But she was like, don't worry, we got it out. You're totally fine. We just have to monitor your heart for 24 hours. And I will say my heart is totally fine. But the whole experience almost felt like an SNL skit where I was just like, this is so wild. And it's during COVID. This was in July in Los Angeles. So I was really alone in a lot of my decision making processes. I didn't have friends or family there to bounce ideas off of. Um, And so I actually filed a grievance report with UCLA um, because there was a few other things that happened that made me really uncomfortable. And and they actually acknowledged my grievance and agreed that they're going to do a pilot program for emotional intelligence and communication training within the endocrinology department because the nurses, in my experience, and I've been a patient for 10 years, so I, I feel like I have a decade of experience, nurses have the best bedside manner. They have the highest emotional intelligence, incredible communicators, uh, very sensitive. However, they change shifts every five hours. So basically, every time you wake up, there's a new nurse there, and you have to kind of rebuild this relationship all over again, whereas the only constant people you're seeing and who are making their rounds is your doctors, and they're so cavalier and so Mm -hmm. casual. They only started treating me like I was in the room when they saw that I was upset and I started crying. Mm -hmm. And so that to me was, again, I'm very grateful to have state-of-the-art care and that I had surgery and that I'm okay and I have access to UCLA. I don't take that lightly at all. There's a lot of people who 
who I think would really love to be in my position and have access to these doctors and those facilities. And at the same time, I'm highly critical of them. Yeah. And I think it's important to have both sides and, and not feel like you can't be just because you're lucky enough to be there. Right. Exactly. That's how they improve. And, and you are giving them an opportunity to improve so that the next person hopefully doesn't have that experience. Well, and also I think because of COVID they, they're, you know, there aren't really patient advocates at the hospital. And so hopefully by me sharing my story, exactly. There's other patients there who, even if this pandemic continues or whatever happens, that there's just more consideration to the patient's experience and how isolating that is. And I'm also coming off heavy drugs. Like how could I be in a position to make a choice whether I'm going to go into a second emergency surgery? You know, it's insane. Yeah. Um, so I really hope that they, they do the work and they get someone in there who can teach them about emotional intelligence and bedside manner and communication because a big issue is not the doctor's fault individually. This is like a institutional issue that happens at the education level. So, but you've, you've decided now if this were to happen again, you're going to go a different route, Mm -hmm. which is a big decision, but hopefully it doesn't happen again. And during that time, you also had to make the decision to close on and on, right? I mean, how long after that? So we closed on and on in June of 2020, and I had my my surgery in July. So wow. I decided to close. Okay. Yeah, we had just closed our physical space, and um, it ended up being taken over by this great local nonprofit here on Kauai. And it's really special to know that the space is being used by the community and, and there's good things happening there. But yeah, that was really hard. It was hardest, honestly, for our employees, the eight people that are like family to us to tell them, you know, that they're not going to be returning to work there. Basically, that was like, yeah, super gut wrenching. And at the same time, a big lesson this year has been about releasing. And so I feel like hopefully this you know, when one thing contracts, another expands. And so I really, I really think for a lot of the people who worked for us, other doors have opened and other opportunities have come. And, um, for me, it feels like a really big relief, honestly, because it's a lot to people manage and it was a lot of overhead. And now I have more creative freedom where I can be engaging with our brand and building our company in a way that I think is honestly more sustainable and it's not to say we we hopefully will have another space one day. Yeah. But I'm really grateful for the time that we did have in Hanalei at that space because it really was such a gem. It was so beautiful. I mean, but you made such a good decision, especially at the time you made it, because I think a lot of people still felt like, oh, it's going to be fine. Things are going to go back to normal really soon. And and that was a really difficult time to make that decision because you had to really see the future and and consider, okay, like how long if how long runway, how much runway do we really have and how long could we last and and is it worth it? And could our entire brand survive, right? Oh yeah. gosh. Yeah. And so we just made the decision, you know, we needed to trim down and be a little bit more agile and we definitely made the right decision. Um, even though it was a really difficult decision to make. And it also wasn't a decision we had been intending to make. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Also, you launched your soap like right before, right? <laughs> Perfect. Is that timing? Oh my God. <laughs> so it was so crazy. The frankincense hand and body wash we had been working on since I want to say probably 2017. And then beginning of 2020, you know, we hired this big um, public relations firm and we had this big plan and a rollout. And then the civil rights movement started, obviously the pandemic was happening and we're so sensitive that we actually held on to it for a few months before even sharing publicly because it felt really dumb to release a semi-luxury product during a time where everyone's losing their job and, and yeah. people are marching in the streets. And so finally we decided, you know, this wasn't our intention and what apropos timing, but hey, we have this really amazing hand and body wash and it has frankincense in it, which is known to have, especially when taken orally, you know, antiviral, antibacterial properties. And it's been so, so, so much fun to be sharing the wash with, you know, our community and hopefully the wide, wider world as we've been selling it online and um, seeing people engage with a product that we've made also brings up like a whole new set of feelings and appreciation and admiration for anybody who makes products because you're taking such a huge risk yeah. uh, holding all this inventory. And so it feels really good. And we're actually, I'm excited because we're starting to build out our refill program and the next round of production we'll, we'll have glass bottles and then with a little the refill. And we're working with this super amazing guy in San Francisco who has been in the personal care products industry for, I think, like 30 years. So he's helping us. He's kind of like our liaison between the lab and us. Um, yeah. So he's really formulating at home and like coming up with ideas. And then he kind of makes it more commercial in a way. Basically, we looked at ingredient lists and then made started making tweaks from there. Like we knew what has to be in a hand and body wash for it to lather and have a, be a soap. And then also experimenting like, okay, well maybe rosehip oil is better than jojoba or maybe we can source a different type of frankincense uh, essential oil. And so we went through so many iterations of the wash, mostly because especially my business partner, Melissa, she is really like a frankincense queen and she has an incredible sense of smell. And so she, you know, she really put her foot down, like this is not the right essential oil, find a different one. And so we'd go back wow. to for it until we finally were able to source this super potent, really incredible frankincense essential oil from uh, a region in Africa that's known to have really amazing and um, really amazing frankincense resin and oil. And of course, also working with our formulator to make sure that it's being, um, you know, extracted ethically that the people who are, who are working with the Franken, the Boswellia tree, you know, that they are being treated ethically. And so there was a lot of boxes we had to check off and we did it. I love it so much. I mean, we use it for in our shower. We use it as our hand soap in the kitchen and the bathroom. I mean, we love it so much. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what else you guys come out with. Yeah, me too. <laughs> what do you think? Like, are you focusing on making, do getting the packaging right first before, because it sounds like you're focusing on the glass and the refills for, before you go into product development or are you 
already like developing more products? No, we're really focusing on the wash and learning how we can make the wash better and how we can make our packaging more sustainable and mostly really focusing on the refill component because the idea is if we can sell, if, if you purchase one 16 ounce glass bottle, hopefully that can last a long time as long as there's no breakage. And then we can continue to just send you like 32 ounces of the wash that you can refill. So that is a really big goal, immediate goal. And then I also have some ideas of, um, because of my extensive surgeries I've had on my neck, I've become a real pro at healing scars. And I have a lot to offer in terms of scar care and scar healing in general. And, um, I have this vision of putting together kind of like a kit almost of here's a few things you can use that really help promote healing a scar in a way that is, um, you know, physically smooth and also best for your body, best for your skin. Oh my gosh. I am really excited for that. I feel like that's something that I don't see out there at all, you know, and people have that question for Mm -hmm. sure scars and stretch marks. Yeah. Scars. I, I feel like I've really become like an expert scar healer, um, just from my own experiences. And so I'm excited to put something together and share with people. And there's honestly a lot of very, um, pragmatic, affordable things to do that don't require, um, luxury botanical products. And because I'm lucky enough to have access to luxury botanical products, those are part of my, uh, yeah. scar healing rituals and, and just maintenance in general. But yeah, I will definitely be sharing more about that, hopefully before the end of the year. I also think like scars just have such an energetic component to them. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. Right. Because it's not about the scar being invisible for me. That's not the point. Um, I think it's more like after you have a surgery, in my experience, it was really hard to touch myself where they had cut me. Um, and it was really hard to like engage with that part of my body. And so through the idea of wanting to heal the scar, it also allowed me to come back to myself and, and be able to touch my neck again and not feel like Frankenstein or feel like I'm looking at someone who is not me. Um, And I think that can be applicable to anyone, even if the scar is on your leg or on your back or somewhere where you're not seeing it every day. There's a tendency to mess with. I want to ask you, what is it that you want to like share with the world? Like what legacy do you want to leave behind? Because I think that that just kept coming to me. So I had to ask you. It's such a good, large (laughs) question. And I, I, as I was preparing for the podcast, I was thinking of the same thing. Like what's a lasting impression I want to share with people and what is, what do I have to offer? And I'm still figuring that out, you know, because I'm only 29. And I feel like although I've had a lot of experiences, I still have so much life to live. Um, But I will say that I know I have a lot to offer in terms of perseverance and self-awareness and wanting to reorient myself and not not get caught in the net of culture and consumption and I'm not sure exactly how to do that yet but I think the biggest thing that I could offer is that the goal of life in my experience from for myself is not to try to feel connected all the time 
like to, my goal isn't to feel centered all of the time because then I'm setting myself up to feel upset because it's impossible. There's no one on the whole earth. I personally don't think there's any such thing as enlightenment. I really don't. Well, anyone says that they're like super enlightened. I mean, I'm definitely wary of. (laughs) Yeah. I, I just don't think that that is something that's possible when we're embodied. Um, and so I think that the goal is to figure out how we can come back to ourselves as quick as possible. So when we get knocked off course or we get pushed down, we have the tools and the skills and the ability to come back to ourselves so that we can be in our truest you know, essence and, and have a place inside. Because if, if we're oriented and trying to find our identity by what we see on the outside – you know, that's a really scary, pretty violent way of being. Um, and so I, I really like this essence, this, this idea of shuttling, you know, looking outside and then coming back and then checking out what's outside and then coming back. To me, that feels like, you know, if I could participate in any conversation around what that ends up looking like and manifesting in people, then that would be a really special legacy to leave because it's something regardless of like creed, race, ethnicity, gender, that's something that all of us, we, you know, there, there is something we all know, like we know our energy goes past our skin. You know, Mm -hmm. there's something that we are all knowing that we're contributing to this like bigger life force, this bigger energy. And, um, it would just be so amazing to be able to harness that more often and get out of feeling fragmented and split off or judgmental or afraid or um, all of the things that get in, in the way of us being with ourselves. Is that also why, I mean, I'm curious with on and on it online, you guys offer the breath work, like you mentioned, um, mm-hmm. Everly, mm-hmm. and been doing that for a little while are there other things like that that you're planning on doing because that's kind of the exactly what you're saying as well yeah well we so we started the presence and breathwork groups a year ago and it was melissa's idea to bring beverly in we first started it with our team because it was a really good way for us to you know sever our relationship with the physical space but we also really wanted to support our team during that transition and then we realized like this is such a potent um, practical way to gather because we're getting real tools to use and why don't we open it to our larger community? And so we've been doing that for about a year now and we're really seeing that a big part of what on and on was doing when we offered, you know, the skin and body care services that we had, it was also extremely oriented around mental health and well-being and vitality and I want to mention that well-being and vitality have nothing to do with happiness. That's a whole other conversation. But um, for us, you know, we've had workshops around financial literacy because we think that that has a lot to do with well-being and vitality. Um, we've, we're currently hosting some work, workshops uh, on drawing and journaling to help people tap into their creativity and to also help strengthen the relationship of like how we actually relate to objects in space. You know, like we are here physically. So how are we relating to color? How do we relate to what we see? How do we draw what we see? Not what we think we see, but like what we actually see. And that feels really exciting, like building out programming basically and these workshops and this content that not only brings people together, but also offers tools that they can use outside of 
ever coming back to on and on again. Yeah. Um, and, and that was really the goal of our, of our Hanalei space is, you know, we all, we're all about gathering with people in a way that felt authentic and genuine and around something that hopefully in my experience, you know, left everybody feeling present and embodied. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with a little side of like, isn't it great, you know, how to, you know, move your lymphatic system? Or isn't it great that you can now have a different relationship to your money and, and the emotions that are behind money? Because money is so emotional. And we definitely want to continue to build out our programming for our digital community. And then hopefully, you know, in the future, we are holding either events or pop-ups or retreats where we can do these things in person because I really miss that like community part and obviously hugging people and looking in someone's eyes and reading the room of energy and all of that is is missing when you're on Zoom. And I'm also really grateful that we have some way of being together. Yeah, no, I, I please sign me up for your retreat. <laughs> I'm excited for the content. I think I think it's really hard to find genuine content these days. And so that's really exciting. Every time I hear um, someone offering things like that, I'm, I get really, really excited to share that with others. So that'll be really great. Yeah. And we also learned, you know, it's, it's a learning curve. We had our store in Honolulu for a little over two years and it didn't start that way, but we learned, especially through 2020. And I'm really grateful that, um, there's so much more we can offer than skin and body care products and services. And that still has a place and is is still very relevant. And it's been really fun kind of like bridging the two gaps of like these communities we're building around um, mindfulness and breath work and financial literacy and creativity. And then bringing that back to kind of like, here are some tools that can help promote those other things. And so, you know, everything's working in tandem with each other. And also they can be mutually exclusive. You can totally be part of our community and only come to presence and breath work and never buy our hand and body wash. Totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so making it that, that accessibility piece has always been really important to us. And um, emotional intelligence has always been really important to us and how we engage with people and how we speak with people and also what we share and I think that's seen through our graphics program. You know, we, we've never shown a body um, on our Instagram feed or on our website. Sometimes in our stories, of course, we'll show people because that's our community and it's fun to highlight people who are supporting on and on. But we aren't, again, pointing to any ideal of beauty. So it was really important for us, like, even in, even in body positive conversations, we're still so focused on the body. Yeah. Imagine this ability to be like get out forget the body part like let's go somewhere else because there's so much there's so many other things to explore yeah and so um you know in terms of our graphics program and the visuals that we create that's really our pillar of like that's our foundation is there's a lot of other things we can point to other than what beauty is or what beauty isn't or you know leaving those conversations for the people who are interested in having them I know your graphics are so intentional and your strategy is really interesting to me. And did you design the website with Max? Yeah, Max and I designed the website and we we do work with a a really great team in um, India. And we also had a really amazing woman named Maya from Chicago help us with user experience and user interface because 
I will say it's one thing to be an artistic yeah. creative person. It's a whole other thing to create a website that people actually want to use. And so, yeah. um, everything we do is so collaborative. And of course, Melissa is a huge part of everything we create also. But mostly, most of the design has been myself and Max. And we just finally hired a few junior designers, which has been so helpful to just take a little bit of the load off. Mm-hmm. And um, I really love like, working with people. So it's fun to have fresh eyes on the project that we've been so close to for, you know, the last almost four years now, five years. I know. I, I can't believe it's been that long. Like, I just remember you telling me about it and now it's, it's wild how much you guys have grown, but thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing about your experience and your journey. And, and, you know, it really, uh, I keep thinking about when I asked you the legacy question and I think perseverance is definitely something that when I think of you, I really think of that word and, and it's like on the dot, you've gone through so much and, and for people listening, like there's even more that we haven't discussed. That's actually really crazy, but, um, we'll save that for another time. (laughs) I have you on for another episode, but I love you. And, and I really appreciate what you bring to the world and what you've done for me. You've really helped me a lot as well for the fullest. And I, I, I'm so grateful for that. I mean, anything from like just an introduction to our attorney who I absolutely love to just people that are in your community that have been so helpful to us as we grow. And, um, and so you really do embody that, that type of person that's just here to help others. So love you. Thank you. And have a wonderful time on Kauai. Thanks so much, Nikki. I really appreciate you.